There are some who interpret today's gospel as making the best possible use of the time we are graced to have in this life. And there are some who interpret it as a warning that the Lord will return at a time we cannot know, and when he does return, he will see if we are or are not prepared for his arrival. Both interpretations are valid. I think, however, the key phrase to put our reading in context is verse 34. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. The word heart describes not the physical organ that lies in the wall of our chest, but the reality of who each of us truly is, what each of us truly wishes to become. The seat not only of our passions, but the seat of our intellect, will. And very often our heart, influenced by our fallen nature, is not focused on God at all. Sometimes for years at a time. But it's on something else. Some ideology. Someone else we think is going to give us ultimate happiness. If only I had this. If only I had that. Then I will be happy. Which of course is an illusion. No created thing can give us ultimate joy or ultimate happiness. No person can give us ultimate joy or ultimate happiness. It's a terrible burden to place on a creature. The Lord gives only one instruction about his second coming in verse 35. Gird your loins and light your lamps and be like servants who await their master's return from a wedding, ready to open immediately when he comes and knocks. The rest of his talk is about the consequences of being girded or not girded. The issue is not his coming, but when he comes, what condition will the hearts of his disciples be in? What will our treasure be? In him or something else? It could be argued that there are, in a sense, two comings of Jesus. The one referred to in sacred scripture and taught in sacred tradition, that he shall suddenly come and all the dead be raised and the general judgment begins. But there's another coming of Jesus also attested to in scripture and tradition, the one in which our lives come to their natural end and our souls immediately stand before the Lord in our particular judgment, where each sees the whole of his or her life as the Lord does and receives the eternity he or she chose by how he or she lived this life. I find Jesus' use of the expression, gird your loins, an interesting one. It can bear several interpretations. Most scriptural commentators say it refers to how one eats the Passover meal described in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, which says, this is how you shall eat it, your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. To be girded in this sense is to have one's tunic so cinched up that one's legs are free from the garment so you could flee at a moment's notice and not be tripped up. A second interpretation 
is that to gird oneself to put on an apron or a covering from the waist down and be prepared to serve others at table or washing their feet. A third interpretation is military preparedness. That to gird oneself means to carefully apply the layers of armor to prepare for battle, armor that was used very commonly in the ancient world. And while all these interpretations are applicable, I prefer the militaristic one. Because this life is a battle. Not just in making a living, raising a family, but as disciples of Jesus, it's a battle to keep ourselves focused on the truth of who God is, what his Son has done for us, the eternal destiny every one of us is called to, and not allow anything or anyone in this world to deter us from what we were created to be. It is a battle. We must each fight on two fronts. The conflicts that we all experience in our fallen nature and powers in this fallen universe that seek to divert our attention away from God, away from our ultimate goal. This is what prompted St. Paul towards the end of his letter to the Ephesians to write so passionately, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, stand firm. Each day, the disciple of Jesus must ask, What is my real treasure? Where is my heart? What is my ultimate desire? If it is anything or anyone other than Jesus, our lives will inevitably be scattered in so many different directions we could very easily lose ourselves. If it is Jesus, then everything and everyone in our lives will find its proper place. It really is just that simple. It was interesting that Peter felt compelled to ask Jesus, Lord, is this parable meant for us or for everyone? Perhaps Peter was feeling a bit overwhelmed as the reality set in of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be called the rock of his church. But Jesus' answer is clear. Everyone who follows him is given the graces to live this life well as his disciple, as a member of his one body, his church. And indeed, for those who have been given much, says the Lord, much will be required. 
the disciple is not to merely wait around for the Lord's coming, but to use this life well, to live this life fully as his disciple on earth, as each can, helping one another in his body, the church. And if that sounds just too simple, it is because God and his love are simple.